Morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. So we've um, we've hit the final fruit, which is great. Um, we look at self-control this morning, which um, we've been looking, if you've not been with us, we're looking through Galatians 5, 22, 23, where um, Paul talks about the, the fruit of the Spirit, and um, we've looked at each one in turn. So we look at self-control, and then, um, you know, on, I mean, they all matter, like they're all really important. This one is so important. Um, and honestly, if we don't have this one down, um, I think all the other fruit of the Spirit are going to be stunted. I think they're all going to be limited in their growth. So, for example, when we looked at kindness or patience or gentleness, you know, one of the things we said is, listen, they're not personality traits. It's not about waiting until you feel kind necessarily. Um, often, actually, you might feel the exact opposite, but self-control means I withhold maybe my natural inclination right now to be harsh or to kind of lash out or be irritable. I control that bit of me um, and actually, I choose instead to respond with kindness, with patience, with gentleness. So even all the other fruit, if we don't have, um, if we don't have self-control, then then the other fruit are not going to be as mature or remain in in the way that I think they can and they should. Um, and yet, honestly, that that whole that whole process um, for me of um, is very simply and practically. That's I think what living according to the spirit rather than the flesh looks like. It's like in a moment being aware of. Do you know what the that fleshly part of me right now? genuinely wants to lash out and give you a piece of my mind but I'm going to choose Holy Spirit help me to react a different way to respond in a different way and it, and it does require self-control so in that journey of being living according to the spirit not flesh it's self-control is right there in the middle of that journey um, moment by moment it's not like a, I didn't have it and then I did it it's a moment by moment thing um, and it basically means listen I manage me I am controlling me, and so you get the best version of me. Um, not easy, um, but it is really, really important. So um, I want to pray, and then if you've got your Bibles, we're going to start off in 2 Peter. Um, so we'll do that. Could we just put the house lights up a little bit? I can only see faces in like the first three rows. Hello. That's better. That's better. Right, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you're with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you did come. Um, thank you that we can have absolute confidence in you, that um, you're going to continue to move towards us and reach out towards us. We thank you for your amazing, saving grace and mercy. Um, and we thank you for your continuing faithfulness and kindness and provision and blessing in our lives. God, we are, we're such thankful kids. And, um, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and you would... Um, grow that self-control in us and open up your word to us um, and help us to look so much more like you Jesus we ask it in your name amen Alrighty, 2 Peter 1 um, I'm going to read verses 5 to 8 I'm not going to read the whole chapter just for time but in the beginning the first couple of verses in 2 Peter 1 um, he talks about and um, it says you know, God has given by his divine power he's given us everything we need for a godly life Everything we need to live a godly life, his divine power has given it to us. And it talks about he, he's given us these great and precious promises. And then he goes on in verse 5, saying, saying this, for this very reason, so because God's given us everything we need, because we have these amazing promises, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, which means is goodness. Other translations translate as goodness. And to goodness or virtue, knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is an amazing verse. I love this chapter in Peter. Um, but it's, it, listen, it's super clear. Listen, these are things... 
God has given us everything we need for a godly life, but it's this whole partnership thing, which I know I feel like we kind of talk about a lot, but you know, God's already given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have these unbelievably amazing promises, but we need to make every effort. That means work, folks. That you know, effort costs us something to supplement to our faith, to add to our faith these qualities. Um, and it's not just, a, you know, I had them a while ago. It's these qualities need to be ours and increasing. It says that, doesn't it, in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. So it's not enough just to say, well, I have a measure of gentleness. I have a measure of being steadfast. I have a measure of godliness. Like, it, it's got to be increasing. It's got to be growing. Um, and the key is in verse 8. It said, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our, Jesus, in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So conversely, you know, if we, if, we, if we do have them, we will be effective and we will be fruitful, productive. And listen, remember, that's the goal. Abiding in Jesus, having deep roots in him, um, living full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, then we're going to have fruit. Um, but we have to make every effort to add to our faith these things. And self-control is right there in the middle of that list. Self-control. Listen, add it in. That's what he's saying. Um, Self-control, therefore, I think is essential in our journey of maturity and fruitfulness. Basically, it's about growing up. More self-control as we grow up. It's needed. But just, you know, I love the way he sort of Peter lands this bit in the context of, um, you know, actually, and it's really important we hear this. These qualities are going to keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful. And that's important. It'd be really easy for us to hear that in terms of tasks, things to do. Um, but the context is that we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be ineffective. We wouldn't be unfruitful. Like, we'd be the opposite. We'd be fruitful. We'd be effective in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the context. It's all out of relationship. Knowing him, being known by him. Not knowing about him, but actually being known by him. Um, and so, and that, just that's the journey. We have to hold those two things. On the one hand, knowing Jesus, being known by him, but making every effort to add these things in. We can't neglect one or the other. We really need both of those things. But the context of fruitfulness is, is knowing Jesus, but self-control is a non-negotiable. We have to develop that as a fruit in our life. And so I want to look, just dive into some, I suppose, some practical things. And how, okay, what does that look like? How do I get better at being self-controlled? And so we're going to look at... Um, the story of David and Bathsheba, um, which is a you know excellent example of where what happens when you don't engage self-control. Um, this was David's low point. I think if he's doing a review of his life, highs and lows, this would be the low. Um, I'm not going to, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all. Um, it's in 2 Samuel 11. But if, uh, but I want to kind of bullet point almost the sort of the steps of this story. Um, so essentially, David's been made king. He's had huge success, defeated loads of his enemies, establishing his sort of kingdom and his, his palace and things in, in um, Jerusalem. And it says one day that he was walking around on the roof and he saw a woman bathing. The next sentence says, and he saw, noticed that she was very beautiful. So he sends one of his servants to go out and say, find out who that woman is. So he saw her, he noticed her, noticed she was beautiful, and then said to someone, go find out who she is. So they come back and say, this is Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah, um, and he is away fighting with um, David's army at the moment. And so then David sends them back um, to Bathsheba, gets her brought to him, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and then realizes he's in a major mess. Um, Uriah is not around, so it's going to be very obvious this is not Uriah's child. So 
Then the plan gets even more murky, so he tries to get Uriah to come home, spend the night with his wife, so it all looks tidy. Uriah says, no, you know, my fellow soldiers are not at home with their wives. Why should I have that? I'm, I'm not going to. Um, so David, you know, goes deeper still, and, and he arranges for Uriah to be a setup and him to be killed at Battlefront, and then he takes Bathsheba, his wife. It's such a mess. You know, it's just the murkiest, muckiest affair. Um, and you can see, like, that is a very edited kind of version. Of, but there were lots of steps on that journey. Um, you know, and it didn't... It started to go wrong right at the beginning of it. The lack of self-control at the beginning meant this thing just snowballed and became out of control. So, you know, if you look at those steps of that journey, you know, at the point where he is, you know, a powerful king, who, you know, you don't really get to say no to, he is alone in his bedroom with a vulnerable, beautiful woman. At that point... There's a whole load of self-control required on his part to do the right thing. It was still possible. But he could have made the right choice at that point. But there was way more self-control he needed at that point than if at the point where he first saw her, he engaged in self-control then. Things could have been radically different. Um, if at the point where he noticed and looked away, it was between the... David was on the roof and he saw a woman bathing... And he noticed she was very beautiful. Beautiful. Between those two points somewhere, there was, a, there was an out. Like there was an option for David to actually just, just walk as the man he was, you know, actually walk in righteousness and goodness. There, but there was that point between the, the, I've noticed, and the second look, it began to go wrong. And then from then on, it just was unraveling. Um, and listen, it, it's just tricky, isn't it? Listen, it was, you know, at what point did David sin? Like where did it go wrong? Um, it wasn't the point when he was walking around the roof and noticed someone bathing. Like this, you know, it's really important. It's not sinful sometimes for your eyes to land on something that's like, that's not helpful. In our culture, like, you know, you don't have to have the TV or internet on very on for actually to kind of, you can see stuff that you're like, I don't want to see that. But there's a difference between what I see and I can say, oh, hang on, no, and look away. And what I see and then I notice and then I look at and then I, and it, and it kind of unravels. And um, but the, the problem comes when we start looking, when we don't engage self-control at the earliest possible opportunity and move away. Because there were, there were multiple points on that journey where David could have engaged some self-control, repented, de-escalated the situation, but the complete absence of self-control meant it just was you know, snowballing into a total car crash. And I think that's the first thing I would say. Listen, if you, review, if you or I, if we view self-control as this, it is a last-minute ejector seat type situation um, that I'm like, I'm really in a mess here and, you know, get me out of here. Rather, actually, alongside self-control, we've got to have wisdom. And wisdom looks like self-control in the smallest things at the earliest point with the most radical movement. That's what self-control needs to look like. Not, I'm going to wait till I'm really, really, really nearly over the line and then just see if I can engage enough self-control and bail. Um, that's just not wise. And we're far less likely to be successful. It's going to absolutely keep us from being fruitful, from being productive. Um, but you, you've got to start with those things. And that's where David went so wrong. You know, if he was self-controlled at the beginning of that journey, none of that other stuff would have happened. And the story is beautiful because David, you know, he absolutely repents and God, you know, restores him and redeems him. And it's, you know, it's just, you know, God, God's amazing faithfulness trumping David's horrible unfaithfulness is just, it's just such a gorgeous picture of what Jesus is like for us. But it, it didn't need to be like that. It doesn't need to be like that. And if we think, you know, self-control is this last minute, at the very last minute, I'll get out of here. It's just not wise. There's this fascinating verse in um, Song of Solomon 2, 
Verse 15, it says this, catch the, little, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. I think this is an awful lot to do with self-control. The danger is, if, this, you know, if the fruit of self-control isn't evident, growing, mature in our lives, the problem is that we tolerate, we ignore, maybe even we don't even notice the little things, you know, the little foxes, um, and we settle for... A little bit of compromise here, a slight slide from probably what I think is the best for me here, you know, some unhelpful thinking over on this side, which, and you think none of it's that bad, none of it's hugely sinful, and, and things slide. Because the story of David and Bathsheba, if it's anything, is it tells us how easy it is to slide and end up somewhere where you just don't want to be. But if we're, not, if we're not radical at the beginning of that journey, um, then we're going we're gonna to have problems. So at that first point of temptation... You know, recognize that's the little fox. Compromise is not going to help here. Self-control is going to be a game changer. But listen, we need to understand that. It's, I want you to be really clear. Being tempted is not sinful. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way and yet didn't sin. So being tempted isn't sinful. You know, even, you know, even in that, you know, David noticing and, you know, even in that point of I'm being tempted, like it wasn't sin until he entertained it, acted on it, thought about it, let it settle and sort of dwell in him. But to be tempted isn't sinful um, and honestly is, is part of the experience of being human. That's not sinful. Um, and often the thing is, we, the things that we are tempted with are good. Like they're good things. They're the things. That's the way God's made us. It, like that, they're not bad things. You know, God has made us in a way that we have needs, we have desires, we have wants. That They're not wrong in and of themselves at all. But the, without self-control... Um, the danger is that those things manage us rather than me manage those things. Um, so actually, self-control means I can manage the way that God's made me. I can manage those things that I want, that I desire, that I'm thinking about. But I can manage them in a way that so they are expressed and met in a way that is healthy and holy and helpful. Rather than letting any one of those things control us. You know, so David is a you know, classic example of you know, a red-blooded man with a sex drive which is not wrong and being... Men are visual, that's all right. Like, what they see makes a difference. Like, that is how God made him. But he didn't manage how God made him. And that was the context. But for anything, you know, sex, food, other people's affection or affirmation of us, rest, exercise, money, provisions, having a nice house, like, none of those things are wrong. But we can absolutely be tempted in any one of those areas and countless others. And those are good and godly things, um, and they're healthy needs for all of us to have. But self-control means, listen, I can walk in health with those things. I'm not gonna, I am not going to be controlled by and compromise in a way that I settle for inferior, which is what David did. You know, he settled for you know, lust and immorality and adultery and murder, rather than actually, you know, God's design and plan for healthy you know, sexual intimacy in marriage, which is a beautiful thing. But he settled for the inferior, for a counterfeit version because he didn't deal with temptation, because he wasn't self-controlled. But listen, the other, the other thing we need to be careful of is that, actually, I am self-controlled, so I walk in health in those areas. I am not managed by them. I manage them. But equally, I don't shut down and deny some of the ways God's made me and made us. It's, so it's that dynamic. So in, you know, let's talk about sex. That story is all about sex. So in that context, actually, self-control means, do you know what? I'm not going to be controlled by lust and impurity. But it, what it doesn't mean is that we shouldn't recognize, do you know what's not wrong to have a sex drive? That is a good thing and have a value and an expectation for a good sex life when you're married. 
Like, and not saying, actually, I'm going to shut down that part of me because we've not, like, self-control's not there. That's not helpful. Or, you know, I, you know, I don't want to settle for being, you know, prideful and swayed by other people's opinion and be people-pleasing. Like, we don't want to end up there. That is counterfeit. But do you know what? The, the godly side of that, in a, in a godly need that I believe we're all given, is, actually, I need affirmation and affection from people. Like, I really do. Um, I need people who I know love me who are going to cheer me on. I need those things. That is a God-given need that I have. Now, can that get twisted? Can I settle for a counterfeit where I'm, you know, I don't feel in any way secure unless, you know, this many people have said this nice thing about me and, you know, social media is not helpful in this context. So is there an inferior? Is there a counterfeit? Yes, there is. So I, do I need to have self-control in managing that need for affection and affirmation? Yeah, sure I do. But don't shut down that as a need. Or what about, you know, being, you know, being significant, being fruitful? That is entirely biblical. Like, there is significance on your life. God wants to bless us. He wants increase for us. Um, actually, do we, but do we want to settle, you know, and slide into, you know, selfish ambition and making ourselves feel great? And be, or being materialistic or greedy or dishonest with money and what God gives? No, of course we don't. And so, but self-control means, do you know what? I'm not controlled those, by those things, but actually I'm not going to go to the other extreme where I have a poverty mindset and feel you know, guilty about having anything and, and feeling like, well, my life is nothing. And like, That's not what God wants us to be either. But it's self-control. Does this make sense? You know, you know, sex drive is a good thing. It's a God-given thing. Affection and affirmation rather is part of how God's made us. Actually, a desire to be significant, to make an, an impact, actually to, to have a secure home. Like Those are things that God's, that's part of how God's made us. Those are God-given needs. So self-control does not mean cutting off that part of you, but it does mean, listen, I manage that in a healthy way. I'm not controlled by it. So part of this, part of being self-controlled is we have to have some stuff settled at the outset. We need to determine okay, where's the line? We need, to, we need to have some really clear things that are, do you know what? This is the line, this is the standard. Um, and you ha- listen, you have to decide that ahead of time um, and then be radical with self-control that you hold that line, that you stand your ground. So for this story, David and Bathsheba, well, you know, a good aim for all of us to have, married or single, is I am not going to have sex with anybody who is not my husband or my wife outside of marriage. Like, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good line. I would encourage you all. That's a line we should all hold, right? That's in line with God's standards. That's what God says. But again, it's, it's how do I hold that line? And what do I do in the process? So I would encourage you, if your line is, if I ever find myself alone in my bedroom with someone of the opposite sex who I find hugely attractive, I will be self-controlled in that moment. Like, that's not wisdom, that's frankly stupid. Like, and that's, like, you can say, well, I'm holding the line, but I'm like, you're making this way trickier to hold the line than if you start way, way, way back. So I would encourage you, actually, listen, and that's the thing, you, there are little foxes running all around your bedroom if you're doing that. Those little foxes are going to ruin stuff. It's so lacking in wisdom, and that isn't the place to draw the line. Self-control means at the earliest possible opportunity, I'm going to hold that line. So rather than saying if I ever find myself in my bed, like, don't do that. But actually think about, well, how, you know, how am I managing my thought life? Actually, what am I watching? And listen, I want us to be really careful that we don't have a, a technical view of actually walking in holy. So, in, you know, you can say, I am, I'm, not, I'm not watching pornography, so, 
but I am watching a, an 18 that is extremely sexually explicit, but that's all right because it's an 18. Like, you know, it's like those lines are getting blurry. It's like, come on. That's, I, you know, that's not all right. Actually, so what are we watching? How am I, you know, committed to investing and protecting my marriage and being determined... I married the best man and I don't need to look anywhere else. How, how am I doing with that? How committed am I to protecting my purity? How am I communicating with members of the opposite sex? Like, how, you know, what do, how do I do relationship with them? That's where the line needs to be. Not if I ever found myself in a bed. Like, we've missed it there. So start your line way, way, way further back. But listen, it's in any context. Like, this story is about sex, but it, you know, that's not the only area we need to be self-controlled in. You know, maybe what about gossip? So destructive, so poisonous. Is it good enough to say, well, I won't actually ever start a rumor? Um, that's a good line. Like, hold that line. But I would encourage you, there are some lines way before that. It's like, do you know what? I'm not even going to think it. I'm not even going to listen to it. Self-control says, I'm going to be way more radical than that. I'm going to draw the line way earlier than that. I'm going to get out of those conversations. I'm going to actively choose to think the best of people. I'm not going to partner with gossip, unkind talk. I'm going to deal with my heart if I even start to feel those things. I'm going to be radically self-controlled with me, managing me at the earliest point in that process because then there's no way I'll end up over there, which isn't where we want to be. So, you know, think about any area where you think, you know what, maybe that, maybe I do feel a bit vulnerable. Maybe actually that is an area where I'm being tempted. Um, and remember, temptation isn't sin. But just think about, okay, listen, determine where your line is. Like, where is the line? And it has to line up with God's standard. You know, the, the world will draw some lines in some places that are so far beyond what God has for us. It's just untrue. And that line is getting pushed further all the time. So you have to set your, you have to recognize this is the area. And I genuinely want you to think about this week. Ask the Holy Spirit, like, where's the area? Where, where's that temptation for me right now? Where does, where, God, where do you say that line is? And what's, what's going to help? What's going to hinder? You know, how can I be radical in self-control? And an absolute decision that I am just not going to compromise. I'm going to hold this line. It applies to money, food, exercise, TV, friendships, you name it. It might be massively different for everybody in this room, and that's fine. Um, but the thing is, deal with the little foxes while they're little, before you have this marauding pack of massive foxes running around your bedroom. Like, start early. It's just wisdom. And listen, we do that by asking for the Holy Spirit, you know, these are spiritual fruit. They are fruit of the Spirit. It is supernatural, but it's absolutely possible. So in those moments, ask for help. Ask for God's help in, in drawing the line and holding that line. And it says in Corinthians that God's faithful. He's not going to let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And he also promises to provide a way out, like he will. And so I want to encourage you, look for that way out as early as possible, not the last-minute eject seat. Here's the other thing that I think is massively important. Self-control needs to be strengthened by community. Don't do it on your own. Don't go it alone. Like, who can you lean on? Who can you share it with? And say, do you know what? I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Like, you are still responsible to hold your line. That is, you know, I'm always, Phil and I are always a bit cautious with, you know, who are you accountable to? In some way, I'm holding this over your head and you're accountable to me. No, listen, I make myself responsible to people. People who... I know love me, who actually meet that need of, I need affirmation, I need affection, but I can go to Helen and say, Helen, I'm having a car crash with this, can you help me? And then I know she'll come back to me, and how are you doing with that? Like, self-control is control of self, but don't do it on your own. 
Let people help. Like, what, what might this story look like with David and Bathsheba? If, if those, and who, you know, he was, he was the king. He was in that position of power. He had to invite people in to influence. But if those people came back and said, and maybe that's what they were trying to do when they came back and said, that's Bathsheba, she's married. <laughs> maybe they were trying to say, listen, don't go there. But actually, if they came and said, listen, you know, actually he allowed people in. And that's the deal. It's self-control. You are responsible for managing you. Yes, allow people to help, but you have to invite people in. I can't know what you're struggling if you don't tell me. Um, but be wise about who you're telling. I'm not saying we all tell everybody everything. That would be hideous. But have someone, okay? And then I suppose this seems like a really obvious question. Um, but listen, why would we bother? Like, why would I bother with being self-controlled? And the simple answer is because God is God and he tells us to be. And honestly, that's enough. You know, we can dress it up all sorts of other way around, but... The Bible says, be self-controlled, go after it. God has a really clear standard, and we've been brought with the very highest price, and he deserves the very best from us. That is more than enough reason. Um, but I think it really is important that we understand, you know, self-control is because there is, there's valuable things that are worth protecting. So in Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says this, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Listen, you are massively vulnerable if you don't have self-control. Like that's like city, the walls of a city were for protection. So you're vulnerable. I am vulnerable if I'm not self-controlled. And so we have to understand that, listen, okay, well, why would a city put walls around it? Well, it's because they want to protect what's within it because what's within it is valuable. That's the same for your life. Like your life is valuable. God's will and plan and purpose for your life is so good. It's for you to have abundant life, life in all its fullness, for you to have a future and a hope. And so every standard that God sets for every area of our life is to protect his really good plan and purpose for your life. Like we have to have that understanding. He's not just this, you know, great killjoy in the sky. Actually, he's got such good things for us. So purity, generosity, healthy thought life, having security and identity in relationships, physical health, finance, whatever it is, they're good and valuable things that God wants to give you, but you need to steward those things. And self-control, managing yourself, is important in that. I need to take care of those things. It's nothing about limitation and everything to do with fullness. We've got to have that understanding. Self-control keeps me and the fullness that Jesus came for me to have, it keeps those things safe. So why wouldn't I want to be self-controlled? But here's the really good news, um, and it can sound like, okay, are we, you know, are we talking about this kind of self-control? It's like I spend my life with crazy out-of-control dogs on leads, and I'm desperately trying to just not get bowled over by them. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, I think, is in Titus 2, where it talks about grace, um, and I'm in, I'm in danger of going on a Romans 8 grace tangent. But I wanted to say, as I'm finishing, listen, there's grace for us to be self-controlled. Just as I'm saying, listen, don't do it on your own have people to help you like there's grace for it you don't have to drum this up in and of yourself so Titus 2 11 and 12 says this for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright godly lives in this present age so when Peter says listen everything you need for living a godly life he's given you it's grace he's given you in grace is everything that you're going to need to live a self-controlled, upright, godly life in this present age. 
It doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter what our culture is saying and our schools are saying and the internet showing me. It doesn't matter. Grace of God means I get to live self-controlled. It's grace. Listen, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. What a beautiful, you know, we can never ever get beyond the fact that Jesus, you came, you called me out of death into life. And there's no other name that can do that. Um, we are saved by grace and grace alone, which is phenomenal. But the work of grace didn't stop there. It continues. And part of grace is actually grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled. There is a grace for us to be self-controlled, which is fantastically good news. You know, for everything that God calls us to, for every standard, every line that God calls us to hold, he's so good that he's committed to give us everything we need to hold that line. That's the goodness of God. And so we have to understand Romans 8, most important chapter in the Bible. Two things it says there's none of for you and I anymore. It says there's no condemnation and there's no obligation. I could definitely go off on a tangent. I'm not going to. Listen, no condemnation means, listen, you are free from any external requirement to measure up to be acceptable and accepted by God. And it means there is no condemnation. There's no wagging of the finger when you get it wrong, when you miss, when your self-control isn't as mature as it should be and you slide. There's no condemnation and you can come running back genuinely. God, I'm sorry. We have to repent. Like grace doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Grace means come back and get sorted. So there's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. That's good news. But it also says you are, there is no obligation any longer to you, for you to live according to the sinful nature. And this is what I mean by self-control. It's not that, you know, it's this out-of-control dog that you're desperately trying to hold on to the lead. Like you have, there's no obligation for us anymore to live in a way that is inferior to God's very best for us. That's amazing. And I think sometimes we hold on to there's no condemnation, but we don't realize there's no obligation either. Listen, Romans 6, Paul says it again and again and again and again. Sin is dead. It's done with. It, the cross of Jesus didn't just pay for the punishment of my sin, but that freed me from the power of sin. It's like, I just don't need to live like that anymore. I might be tempted sometimes. I just don't have to live like that. There is no obligation. You know, David on the roof, there was no obligation for him to live in an inferior way to compromise and live according to a you know, twisted version of what God has for him. And we live in the new covenant where it's, the power of sin is broken in our lives and we give it so much power sometimes. We don't understand, listen, there's no obligation anymore. That's the fullness of grace. No condemnation, no obligation, and it teaches me to say no. It's massively, massively powerful. Yes, it offers me salvation, but it teaches me to live an upright and godly life. Everything I need to live a godly life, he's given me. That's his grace. That's the fullness of grace, that I am freed and empowered to be more self-controlled, to say no. And listen, we have to understand that before there's things we say no to, you have to understand what you said yes to. You know, and why, you know, why wouldn't we say yes to Jesus? You know, there's no one like him in kindness and patience and joy and affection. Like, why would we settle for anything less than that? You, you have to settle our yes. And it's like, do you know what? My yes to Jesus means my no to anything else that might feel like it, it just doesn't even compare. It, you know, it, we're saying no to things that are so inferior, are so counterfeit, are so less worthy than the fullness that Jesus has for us. It's the same in marriage. You know, is it, you know, is my being faithful to fill a lifestyle of constantly saying no to every other man? No, it's not. It's like, do you know what? 
I got to marry the best man. He's still the best man. He's got my absolute yes forever. So it's easy, like it's, it's, it's easy to say no. Does that make sense? And that's what I mean by, by setting your line is choosing your yes. And then holding your line means there's going to be some no's. And that requires self-control. I could have just said that sentence. That's my whole message. Does that make sense? But listen, there's grace for it. There's grace in and through self-control. And actually, so that my external behavior, like the version of me that you get, is the very best. But it comes out of actually a change that's gone on on the inside. Do you remember when we first, if you're here, when we kicked off this series, we looked at this gorgeous dynamic in Philippians 2 of God working in us and us working it out, yeah? Um, And it says, the amplified version of verse 13 says, God is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work, He is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you, listen to this, the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose. And your purpose is to walk in radical righteousness and holiness and fullness and fun. And there's grace for it. But we, we have to let his grace teach us. We have to actively say no to ungodliness. We have to engage in self control and accept, you know, in some contexts that feels tough. But remember, your yes is so much more worthy that actually your nose, it's, it's worth it. And so, but it's, it's not just, I, I want us to know this, we have to get hold of this truth of I'm no longer obligated to live according to the sinful nature. Like I'm not, I am not dragged about by my sinful nature. My sinful nature was dead. I'm a new creation now. And the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in me, changing me on the inside, dealing with my insecurities and my judgments and my opinions means that it's not just that my external behavior changes, although it does, it comes out of a place of where I am, I am moving away from wanting anything other than God's standard because I know it's the very best for me and I know it's the very best for people around me. But self-control is vital. It really is. And without it, you know, we're not, we're not going to come into full maturity. And the other fruit of the Spirit are not going to come into full maturity. Self-control is in there, right in that middle of that choice between I could live according to the Spirit or I could live according to what my flesh is telling me right now. Self-control means it's Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit in us makes that possible. Do you want to stand? I'd love for us to pray for each other. I think I want to, um, I want to take a moment to, um, sometimes I think we need those, those truths to kind of come back again. I'm where some of you in that room, in this room might be feeling like, well, that all sounds great, but I've already blown it. I've already messed it up. I'm all, you know, things have already gone horribly wrong in any one of the things we've talked about. Um, listen, there's no condemnation. His mercies are new every morning. Um, you didn't get into the kingdom by never having sinned. And so you don't get kicked out because you have, you kind of tidy things up. You can need to come and repent but his mercies are new. And so, Father, I want to pray for anyone here who, um, yeah, who feels like, oh, do you know what? I missed it. Maybe things slid a little bit. God, I want to thank you um, for your forgiveness. I want to thank you for just your cleansing. Um, God, you don't just forgive our sin, that you wash us clean from it, that we are made new. And so, Father, just for any one of us who've missed it this week, um, Holy Spirit, I thank you in your kindness you lead us to repentance because you want us back and you want us close and you want us healthy and whole. Um, so Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd come and just um, do whatever you need to do in us. Um, God, we want to accept where we've got stuff wrong and we want to come back to you.
But God, I just want to speak over every heart here that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But also, God, there's no obligation to live an inferior life anymore. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and um, sow and develop and water and strengthen self-control in each one of us. God, which, whichever line we're trying to hold, whichever battle we're fighting, whatever temptation is our current reality, um, I just pray for supernatural self-control. And it's your grace, God, that teaches us to say no. So, Father, we want, we want to do that. We want to say no to anything that is less than you have for us. Because, Jesus, we want to give you our absolute yes. Lord, we want to give you a wholehearted and eternal yes. Um, and it is our joy and our delight to do that. But help us, Jesus, as we walk with you to know where we need to say no. God, we're determined to hold that line. And I thank you for your grace. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're going to grow self-control in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.